Take out a half sheet of paper. No, you don't have to do that. Take it. You can take it out in your mind. Uh, because sometimes you can get lost in certain sections of Scripture. I want you to remember what the book of Exodus is about. Does anybody remember how we, we outlined Exodus in many ways, but I try to keep it simple? I use the KISS method. You know what that is. Keep it simple, Sparky. And there is a, and there is a, um, a synonym there, uh, but we won't deal with that. So, so uh, let's, let's keep this simple. Now, what was the first point from the Heidelberg Catechism that really lays out the first part of Exodus for us? Do you remember what the word was? Oh, you're making my life miserable. What's that? Oh, misery. Yeah, yeah, misery. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So misery. We're seeing misery in the first 12 chapters of Exodus. And that is a picture of all mankind. That we are in misery. We are without hope and without God in this world. But God intervened. Okay. So that's the first 12 chapters. What happens, and here's a, here's a great hint for you. What happens in chapters 13 to 18? See, that, that automatically told you. What was the second point? Oh, I have failed. <laughs> Excuse me? But. I, 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 maybe my hearing, I haven't heard the word I want to hear yet. Deliverance. Deliverance. So, and again, when you go back and read the Heidelberg Confession, the first two questions, you'll find it talks about misery, it talks about deliverance. This is what you're seeing in Exodus. You see the misery in the first 12 chapters, then you see deliverance at 13 through 18. Okay? And then, if, if we have been in our misery, but God steps into our lives, and He, he calls us, and we... Respond to him, his effectual calling, and we become his children. Then how are we to live our lives? Chapters 19 through 40, therefore we live in obedience is a good word. Uh, there's, a better way, there's a better way to express that according to the catechism. Gratitude. Gratitude. <sighs> oh, wow. Well, yeah, well, I know. She had no she had cheat sheet there. Okay. So misery, this is what Exodus is about. Misery, deliverance, gratitude. And in that gratitude, we worship God, we glorify God, we praise Him. So that's what the book is about. So let's not lose the focus. Right now we are in misery. Okay? I'm teaching you, you are in misery right now in these first twelve chapters. And, and it gets, you, if you think this has been bad, come next week. It really gets bad. Uh, but a, a good lesson for there. So, last week I, I started the plagues with you. We had to do some other pickup stuff, but we did the plagues. And in talking about those plagues, we saw that there was a king unmoved. Okay, that was the first point of our outline. The second point, a judgment unleashed. So he was unmoved in chapter 5 and in chapter 7 when confronted by Moses and Aaron, let my people go. He put up that hard heart of his and God hardened his hard heart further. And we're going to see that amplified this week. And so... Uh, we're, we, we, we saw all of that, how he was unmoved, and also we saw part of the judgment unleashed. Uh, Pharaoh challenged them with, if you look here in the second bullet point, he said, prove yourselves by working a miracle. Oh, he didn't know what he was asking for. But nevertheless, uh, he, he asked for it, so he was going to get it. And what we have in this judgment that is unleashed is it's a battle of the gods. That means the battle with Egypt, the battle with Pharaoh himself who thinks he is a god and the people view him as god and he wants to be treated as god. And then also 
the, the gods of Egypt themselves. There was over 1,500 gods in the pantheon of Egypt. We'll, we'll meet a few of those today as we're moving along here. And so here it says in Numbers 33, Exodus 12. Look at Exodus 12. I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night. We're going to come into this in another couple of weeks. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. So remember that, that judgment here is, is the other side of the gospel. We're going to see redemption and we're going to see judgment There's good news and bad news in the gospel. So those are the things that are are taking place here. Now also, uh, something else for you to consider is that these, uh, if you look at the first nine plagues, and of course I'm not using this staff turning into a serpent, that's that's a warning or a sign, But, but here if you just look at the plagues, the first nine of these that's then capped off with the worst of the death of the firstborn, these are in a cycle. So the first three, Nile, frogs, gnats. Second cycle, flies, pestilence, livestock, uh, and boils. And the third cycle, heavy hail, locust, darkness. These have a commonality to it. When you look at one, four, and seven, Moses is told to go and meet with Pharaoh early in the morning as he goes out to the Nile each time. And when he goes out there, he's going out. Um, Is he out to bathe? Is he out to worship? Probably he is going out to worship the Nile and the sun god as as he rises in the east. But he goes out to confront it, to stand before him. Take your stand there before Pharaoh. And here's the word that you will declare to him. And then when you come to the last, in each of these cycles, they they are beginning to grow. Like the, the Nile to blood is really a warning. And then the frog's bad. And then the gnats get worse. So, so or they could be mosquitoes or lice even. Some even think they might, might be maggots. But, but what happens here is everything is getting worse in each cycle. There's an intensity, growing intensity throughout these. But for 3, 6, and 9, you've got no warning and there's no audience with Pharaoh to start it. So here, that's, this is the kind of cycle of things that are just building and building and building and getting worse and worse. So... Uh, let's run through a few things about these plagues. I know we did some of this last week. I'm adding some things to it. But uh, I, w- I want to get this so that you can um, get the full picture of everything. So, in this review, the Nile and its alluvial sed- sediments come out every year. And they come out over the land and flood the land. But this brings... Uh, nutrients, enrichment to the soil so that the people worshiped the Nile and there was a God for this uh, inundation of, of the land and bringing out the flood. Uh, his name was Hapi, H-A-P-I. Let me just read to you here a hymn to the inundation. This was part of their worship. Hail to your countenance, Hoppy, who goes up from the land, who comes to deliver Kemet. Kemet is Egypt. Who brings food, who is abundant of provisions, who creates every sort of his good things, who is enduring customs, who returns in his new season, who fills upper and lower Egypt. Everything that has come into being is through his power. There is no district of living men without him. This is how they worship. They had their hymns that praise that they sang to these gods. No wonder there's a battle of the gods that's going on here. But if, if you will notice here uh, in the third bullet point, but God says in this moment when he confronts this God of the Nile and this God of Pharaoh, he says, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. 
And so the Nile is turned to blood, symbolic of death rather than life, since Hopi brought life to them from the Nile. No, the Nile is going to bring forth death because I am the Lord. There is no other God besides me. And so all the fish die. Fish was a major, as a staple of the diet of the Egyptians. The water was contaminated. They'd had to find it elsewhere. Pharaoh, verse 23, last bullet here, he did not take this to heart. What's the next plague? Here's a hint. Hey, you're doing better on your pop quiz. So we go, we go here to the second plague, which is swarms of of uh, frogs and chapter 8 begins with the command and warning then the lord said to moses go to pharaoh and say to him thus says the lord let my people go that they may serve me but if you refuse to let them go behold i will plague all your country with frogs now i want you to notice something simple but profound here look at the words i've underlined in that first bullet point that they may come and serve me he tells Pharaoh why he wanted to let the people go, uh, which this phrase also uh, used here in this verse 716 as well. The people were serving Pharaoh in Egypt as slaves. God calls his people to serve him. Who are they to serve? Pharaoh or the Lord. This was a very important statement, and it's now repeated as we go through. Let them come and serve me. Let them come and worship me and honor me. Now, one of the major goddesses of Egypt was, uh, and it's up here in your second bullet point, was uh, Hecate, who's depicted as a human female with a frog's head. So here she is being attacked, and frogs are symbolic of all of that and so on the next day or pharaoh calls for moses and said i want relief he even uses the name of yahweh here in chapter 8 verses 1 to 15 for the first time and on the next day uh, as pharaoh requested the frogs croaked we talked about that last time and they were piled up in heats and this raised quite a stink literally in chapter 8 verse 14 but Pharaoh, again, hardened his heart. Now, I want you to note something. I, I've put some scribbling out to the side. You can see that's Hebrew. This is a Hebrew word, which now is going to be punctuated throughout these next chapters, 7, 8, and 9, and 10. It's a word which means heavy. All right? So uh, his heart is hardened. And one of the words, there's a couple of words used for hardened in these passages about Pharaoh hardened his heart or God hardened his heart. And that word hardened in certain places is the word heavy. His heart became heavy and weighed. That's interesting in itself. Because if you know anything about Egyptology, the Egyptians, that when they died... And they have their release. I should have put a picture up for you, and I have one. But there's pictures of this, how that they would weigh the heart of the person. They would cut out the heart, and they would weigh the heart. If it was a heavy heart, they didn't deserve anything. God is accommodating that in a sense. Yeah? Your heart is heavy, heavy with your sin, heavy with your failure. The problem is a heart problem here, Pharaoh. And you are stubborn and hard against me. So I'm going to point out a couple of times as we're going through places where that does appear. Third plague. This is the one of gnats or, as I've said, mosquitoes, lice, maggots, perhaps. It strikes without warning. The rod of God is used by Aaron to strike the dust. It comes forth in gnats and they infest the land, animals and people. Uh, Pharaoh's magician can't duplicate this, bullet point three, and they recognize and acknowledge that this is the finger of God at work in verse 19. But Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And so, again, God visits with another plague that we saw last week, the, the swarms of flies. Notice that there is a play on words here in this confrontation. Literally, it says in the verse 21, if you will not send my people away, behold, I will send swarms of flies. 
Same word used in both places. And so it's like, you either sin or I'm going to sin. It's up to you. And the land, verse 24, is ruined. Exodus 24 says literally, and the flies came heavily. Now, that's interesting in itself as well because it's the same word of heavy. A heavy heart, now there's going to be heavy problems upon you. Uh, He's using that play on words. But there is something different with this plague, bullet uh, number three. Something different with the plague. God's people are going to be exempt from this, as they will be from, from different plagues from here on out. They were, and this word different is very important. Look at the number four here, bullet four. They were delivered. They were different. They were redeemed. The Hebrew word here is that word for redemption, for making a distinction, for being delivered. So here's our, our, one of our key words that is coming up. God's people are delivered, not Pharaoh's people. And in verse 28, and you should have your Bibles open here because I will not have passages open all the time to save space on the screen here. But but in verse 28 here of chapter 8, Pharaoh literally says in his pride. Now in, in, in our 828, it says that so Pharaoh said, I will let you go. In the Hebrew, Pharaoh says it this way, I, I will let you go. This has nothing to do with this Yahweh of yours. I will do it, but here's my stipulations. You can go if you do this and this and this and this. And you can't do this and this and this and this. So he says, I'll let you go, but, but Moses can see. The heart of this man is heavy. It is hardened against God. So uh, Pharaoh cheated, and his heart becomes Heavy here. And in this passage, that is the word it is. It's heavy. Then we come to the fifth plague. And it has to do with bulls and cows, livestock. Uh, Here we see one of their gods. uh, There, the the cow standing there. And with the disc of raw between the horns as well as here. You'll see the same thing with one of the bulls. That's there. So, the death of the livestock. Chapter 9, verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague on your livestock. See the word severe? Guess what it is. Pharaoh's heart is heavy. All right, it's going to get heavier. Translators Use this to give us variety and show intensity here of what's going on. So it's severe. It's not just severe, though. It's what? Very severe. So we've added another word. Things are becoming more intense as we move along here. And now this very is going to show up a lot in the Hebrew. And and so it's getting stronger and stronger. Pharaoh's heart grows heavier. With the hardness of his sin, refusing to obey Yahweh, and the plagues come heavier and heavier as well against Pharaoh and his gods. Apis is, as you see here in bullet two, was the most important Egyptian of the sacred bulls. Uh, Other bull cults included Bukis and Menus. And uh, then Isis also, I've not put up here, but Isis, the queen of the gods, bears cow horns on her head. Hathor is given a bovine head. Uh, for her task of protecting the king. So these cows were very important, these bulls and cows. Exodus 9, 6 here for us. All the livestock of the, of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. God makes a distinction here again. He is protecting his people, but for the people of Egypt who are worshiping false gods, They are paying a very heavy price in every way. And notice verse 7 here of chapter 8. Or chapter 9, I should say. Verse 7. Though Pharaoh sent his servants to investigate, see if this was really true, that their cattle was not dying, he would not send away 
God's people. So he's good at sending for what he wants, but he's not good at sending when God says, I want you to send my people away. Then we saw the plague of the boils. In this third plague of the second series, there is no announcement, no warning, no deliberation again. Exodus 9, 8 and 9 says, Take handfuls of soot from a kiln and let Moses throw them in the air or toward heaven, is literally what it says, in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become like fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. John Curid, um, who teaches at uh, Reform Theological Seminary, writes this, that the type of furnace spoken of here was probably a kiln for burning bricks. The furnace then was a symbol of the oppression of the Hebrews, the sweat and tears that they were shedding to make bricks for the Egyptians. Thus, the very soot made by the enslaved people was now to inflict punishment on their oppressors. Again, there's so much nuance in all of these stories of what's taking place. And this is the very first hint that we have now that the lives of the Egyptians might be in physical danger. But Pharaoh is unmoved. Now, that catches us up. So now this is new territory. This is where we stopped last week with the seventh plague. Heavy hail. Can you imagine why I call it heavy all right, so the, the nature of the plagues now takes a, a shift. They now deal with things of weather and sky. There's hail that's going to come down. There's strong east winds that will bring in locusts. And then there is darkness as the sun and the sun god is darkened here in these final three. Again, Curid writes, it's critical to remember the Egyptians believe their gods to be personified in the elements of nature. The catastrophe of the hail was therefore a mockery of the Egyptian heavenly deities, including Newt, female representative of the sky and personification of the vault of heaven, Shu, S-H-U, the supporter of the heavens who holds up the sky, and Tefnut, the goddess of moisture. So, the narrative now becomes longer. The destruction becomes far wider and greater. And we enter into this third cycle, bullet point two, and the, and the final cycle with the falling of very heavy hail, matching again the hardness of Pharaoh's and his heaviness of his heart, seen in the fifth plague. So hail in Scripture is often used as a sign of judgment. You see this in Joshua, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, various places where that occurs. So here is God's judgment, God's hand falling upon the Egyptians. But it gets worse. He says, for this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. You're worshiping all these false gods, but there is none like me. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. That's going to be repeated over and over throughout this. And so 914 here strikes a very uh, special key for us. If you'll note here, again, I have underlined some words there, but I want you to also see something early on where I put in some extra words on the first line. That phrase says, on you yourself, it really is not you yourself, it is you and your heart. It is your heart. It's the, the very heart of the issue here. By the way, isn't that the matter, the, the problem with in, in each of us? It's a matter of the heart. It's not, it's not the matter of the external things. It's always a matter of the heart. And he says, I'm going to bring this plague upon your heart. I'm going to weigh down your heart here. And so, God drives home the point further in verse 15 by saying, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you have been cut off, and you would have been cut off from the earth. I want you to focus on cut off there and this quote from the curate again. The verb translated cut off or wiped off means to be destroyed. It also bears the sense of becoming unknown or effaced. So you're wiping something clean. 
You know, in, in Scripture, in Colossians, it talks about uh, that, that, that he has wiped away our sins. He's effaced those. He's, he's totally removed those. For here, for this man, it's talking about wiping off his name from the face of the earth. And it's the very antithesis with the previous verse where uh, uh, Yahweh has become known throughout all the earth. And now the king of Egypt, God says, I could have made you totally unknown. I could wipe out your name if I wanted to. Well, I'm sure that went over very well with Mr. Pharaoh. It all comes to a crescendo here of horror and destruction for Pharaoh. As it says in Galatians 6, 7, whatever a man sows, he reaps, and he continues to sow to his own destruction. And yet God, in all of this, he could have wiped out all the people, he could have wiped out all the nation. He could have wiped out Pharaoh. Yet in all of this, we discover that some of the Egyptians are beginning to fear the word of the Lord. Some are getting the point. Some hearts are softening. Look at this from Exodus 9. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock in the houses. Now, what was that about? Because hail was coming. The people are warned. You can either take cover. You can believe the word of Yahweh. Or you can say, no, there's no such thing. And our gods will protect us. Those who feared the word of Yahweh, this God that they did not know, I don't know who he is or what he does, this God, is the one who actually controls all things. And so this is a, a, a definite strong point, important point right here. And, and <clears throat> this is really what you might say a response to the gospel. Here's the gospel, so to speak. Moses is preaching the gospel. There is safety to be found, but there's also destruction. There's redemption. There's judgment. Which will you choose? Notice again, 9, 20, and 21. Then whoever feared the Lord... Uh, the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. It's a very sad moment. Some are getting it. Some aren't. It's kind of like the world we live in. It's like the gospel we preach. We preach life into life, death into death. Exodus 9, 23 and 24. So then, here it comes. Watch these words very carefully. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. By the way, this is around 1445-1446 B.C. Egypt may have been one of the first nations to actually come together. And they came together in 3100 B.C. So roughly 1,600 years have passed of, quote, history in Egypt, and no one had ever experienced anything like this before. As you read those lines, it's painting a very frightening word picture for us. There is incessant lightning striping, uh, striking in rapid succession. Uh, if you can imagine in a thunderstorm, I don't know how you were. When I was a kid, thunderstorms scared me. I, I, I would go into a corner of a room and, and hide, you know, I, because I was a latchkey kid. I was usually home alone. <laughs> Mom and Dad were both working. So there I was as a, as a kid, a young kid, staying at home. And those back, were back in the days when you could do that. I was like five, six years old, staying home alone. I would get on a bus and go and go downtown to see my mom who was working when I was like six and seven years old by myself. You wouldn't dare do that today. 
But nevertheless, that's, that's the way the world was then. And I was, I was afraid of all these things. And I know that we've got, uh, what is it our grandkids, one of our grandkids called the thunderstorms? Grumper storms. So we've got kids that call them grumper storms when they come in. And they're rumbling and there's lightning striking everything else. This is something unprecedented. The lightning is striking. If you could imagine, it strikes here, it strikes there, it strikes there. I mean, it's just constant. So lightning, thunder, and an interesting thing about the word thunder. The thunder was like a voice, which is actually the meaning of the Hebrew word. You know, I, we sometimes talk to our kids about, you know, we hear the thunder. Oh, that's the voice of God. That's what it's saying here in Exodus. God's voice is being heard in judgment. But nobody's listening. Their hearts are hard. Except, look at verse 27. It's up here on the screen for you too. Pharaoh says, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. Hallelujah, he's saved. That's a profession to get out of trouble. There's nothing, Nothing has changed in his heart. He's manipulating. He's bartering. And you know what? Moses calls his bluff on this in verse 30. But as for you and your servants, Moses says, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord Yahweh God. Oh, you, you, you want to talk your way out of this again. You, you want to have cheap grace. No. See through you. Your heart's heavy. It's hard. It's against me. And so, verse 35, when delivered by grace in this moment, as the plague is lifted, Pharaoh's heart, once again, is hardened. Dare I say that sometimes we as his people are like that? God is gracious. God is tender. He is compassionate. He spares us. He forgives us. And we go back to the same old thing. Uh. Eighth plague. With the eighth plague, the devastation continues to increase and intensify. God, if you look at chapter 10, look at verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh. I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So this is something to be passed along. Everything that has happened here, the mighty acts of God, God has dealt harshly. The word there means thoroughly, completely in his judgments against Egypt and its gods. There is no other God but the one true God. I am Yahweh, he says. Now, all of this was to help their offspring know the Lord was a great deliverer. And you see this on and on then throughout the Old Testament, these plagues are, are, are talked about. This deliverance is talked about. <clears throat> In fact, when Moses, chapter 18, it's up here on the board for you, when he tells his father-in-law, Jethro, uh, about what happened in Egypt, look at the response of Jethro. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. This man who was a priest of Midian, we don't know much about that, what all it meant, but now he sees that there is only one True God. And then verse 7 here. Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the man go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? His top advisors, his cabinet people, his, his, his magicians, his, everybody who is around Pharaoh, his officers are telling him, look, we're in a mess here. We have got to, to uh, change everything around. 
And so why, why don't you just let them go and do what they want to do? Let the men at least do that. <clears throat> so they're pleading with Pharaoh now, but he does not listen. And so here is what the locust, this is from an Egyptian relief. You can see the size up there on the top. You see the head up toward the top with two antenna, the, the little legs and so on. All right, so that's what a locust looks like. You want to really see what they look like? This is a picture from Morocco. This was a swarm of locusts that came in to Morocco. You see, from I hope from the back you can see that there's white spots all back through there. Those are locusts. How would you like to be on a tour of Morocco and this happened? Uh, you're, you're not going to want to be outside. This compared to this, this is minor. Because when you read the passage, it says that these locusts covered everything. But then God sent a west wind. And the west wind drove all these locusts back into the sea, the Red Sea, Yom Suf, as it's called. Not one Locust survived. Chapter 10, verse 19. Not one locust survived. But that's, those are haunting words. You know why I say that? That very phrase is then appearing in chapter 14 and verse 28, where it will say that the armies of Pharaoh were covered by the Red Sea. Not one was spared. So we come then to the ninth plague, which is the one of darkness. Why do I have this up here? <clears throat> it's because this is uh, Amun-Re. Uh, Amun-Re is one, is the chief god, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh is the personification of Amun-Re on earth. <clears throat> so this comes without announcement, without delay. God causes this deep darkness to fall upon the land for three days, a darkness that could be felt. Where, where is it? What's the darkest moment? I shouldn't say moment. What's the darkest place you've ever been? Have you ever been in a really dark place? I, we, we, we were in some was Carlsbad Caverns where they turned out the lights just to show us how dark it is. And so we're all, all the lights went out. And you're standing there, and you lose your balance. You, you, there's no bearings. Nothing for your inner gyroscope to tell you how to stand or anything. That is scary. You, you, you have to kind of feel your way along to get around. That's what's happening here. It's, verse 22 says, it's a thick darkness. <clears throat> and it's a strike against the uh, Egyptian solar god, Amun-Ra. Uh, and, and Pharaoh himself, who's known as the, the son of Ra. And you say, oh, by the way, you, you misspelled one of those. I used Ra, R-A, and one R-E in another because you see both of those spellings. So I thought, I'll go ahead and give that to you, and then you can criticize that. So uh, in Genesis 1-2, why is this important to us, that this darkness comes? In Genesis 1-2, before God created anything, it says darkness was over the face of the deep. There was a darkness there. But then God said in verse 3, let there be light. And there was light. God is a God of light, not of darkness. In, in Egypt, what's happening is a reversal of creation. Creation is caving in on Pharaoh and, and seeking to destroy his, his hard heart. And here comes this darkness God said, let there be light, and, and there was. In fact, uh, we believe, and it's, and it's for three days this darkness endures over the land. For three days, darkness. Uh, is there significance to that? Some believe that it symbolizes, as it does in the Old Testament, completeness, finality, definitiveness. They point to Isaiah 6.3 for their reasoning about the threes and so on. 
Um, could there be something to do here with the death of Christ and the darkness that came over all the earth? Three days he was in that tomb. So maybe there's something there too. I, I, I can't say with absolute authority. But, but there is something very interesting here that darkness settles in because Egypt is a very dark place spiritually. They're encrusted in their paganism and false gods. Well, in all this darkness, it doesn't lighten. The light doesn't turn on for Pharaoh. He's angry. In fact, verse 28 here in this last bullet. He never wants to see Moses again. He says, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day that you see my face, you shall die. And and I'm not sure these next words from Moses actually come from the Lord. (laughs) Or they they kind of come out of Moses' heart here. Because what he says is, as you say, I will not see your face again. What is that saying? Your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. So, ironically, by the way, Pharaoh's fate was decided at the Red Sea. But um, what has all this been about? <clears throat> We've been talking about these, these plagues. Any questions about the plagues first before I go into some application for us or actually what the text is saying to us? Any questions? Anybody want to go through any of these plagues? Next time you think that you have troubles, go back and read this account. All right. So let's talk then about, <clears throat> we've, we've been going through all these plagues. Uh, they're in misery. Israel's in misery. Egypt's in misery. There's all this misery. But the one thing that keeps shining through is the voice of God speaks every single time. And the, and the character of God is seen in all that he does. And we see his judgment. We see his mercy. And so I want to call your attention to this then. A God unmatched. No one like this God. Okay. So let's talk about what we are seeing here. And there are five things that I want to point out that we're seeing about God. First, the Lord, Yahweh, is God. There is only one God. And over and over, we see that the Lord's name, Yahweh, is repeated. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Uh, We look there in in 8.10, for instance. He says, um, Be it as you say, that you may know that there is none like the Lord our God. Pharaoh had said, Yahweh? Who is Yahweh? I don't know this Yahweh of yours. We've got our own gods. I don't know him. I don't even want to know him. He's gotten to know him, that the Lord is God. And he is the only God. These other gods have been defeated. They've been shown to be powerless against Yahweh. Third, the Lord is also present in the land. Look at 822. Interesting verse. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. By the way, first mention of Goshen here. Where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I'm not just a transcendent God who is aloof and far away. I am here. I am here with my people. I'm here to protect my people. And so for us, this is important because it's a reminder to us that God is with us. And that ultimate manifestation that God is with us came in the person of Jesus Christ. God who took on human flesh to be with us, to dwell among us, to tent among us. Using the same word as the word tabernacle in the the book of Exodus. He came here to be with us. And He is for us. He is present in the land. Fourth, 
the Lord will be proclaimed in all the earth. This was God's purpose, even in all of this destruction, not just to destroy Pharaoh and Egypt, but he wanted his name to be proclaimed. And by the way, I would say this. People who, who don't know anything about the Bible probably at least know, hey, there were ten plagues. There were ten commandments. There were, there, were, there were things that they remember. But it's not their duty to figure that out. It's our duty to proclaim the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh in all the earth. Notice chapter 9 and verse 16. He says, For this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then the Lord said to, to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs and make uh, mine, I show my signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt with harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. Our job is to proclaim the name of Yahweh in all the earth, including and starting with our own families, our children, and our grandchildren. Notice how explicit that is. You tell your offspring about the Lord. Don't take for granted, well, you know, um, they're covenant children. They'll probably come to faith anyway. No. You preach the gospel to them. You tell them about the love and the judgment of Yahweh that, that he might draw them to be his people as well. And then, if we come to the fifth and final one, here's where we'll spend the last moments of our time together. What we do find here is the other side of the gospel. And that is the Lord is a just judge as well. He has judged the gods of Egypt. He has judged Pharaoh. He will judge all who will not listen to his voice. And so we come to Revelation and we see a very interesting pattern. That what you see in the plagues of Egypt will one day be repeated in the day of the Lord when he comes to judge. These are signs. And the very fact that it's included in the Bible tells us that we need to heed these signs and tell of these signs. For instance, the first plague, water to blood, when the Nile was changed. Here's what we find in Revelation 16. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Again, this is Exodus 7 through 10. is not a, a once for all thing. There is coming a greater day of judgment for those who refuse to believe Yahweh. The second plague of frogs. Here's what we read in Revelation 16, 13 and 14. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. Battle goes on. There will only be one victor, and we know who that is. But judgment's coming upon those who do not accept Christ. Sixth plague boils. Revelation sixteen two. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became loathsome and a malignant sore upon men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Seventh plague, heavy hail. And remember this plague, Revelation 16, 17 to 21. The seventh seal, or the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a voice, a loud voice, 
came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and the sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty and huge hailstones. Get this. About 100 pounds each. I think the largest hailstone I have ever seen probably been about that size. And that was pretty destructive. Can you imagine a hundred pounds falling from the sky all over? And it came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. It was very heavy. hundred pounds worth. Now, I make a jest about that at the same time. This is heart-rending. Because who are these people acting like in Revelation? Pharaoh. They're just as hard-hearted. Here comes the plagues when you should be crying out to God for mercy. And what do they cry out? Blaspheming against God. I don't deserve this. Why are you bringing this upon me? I'm a decent person. But you don't worship the one true God. Eighth plague, locust. Revelation 9, 3, 3 through 5. And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and the power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Anybody ever been stung by a scorpion? I haven't. I don't want to be. don't want that experience. And then the ninth plague. Revelation 16, 10 and 11. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. And this is the world we live in. We live in a world that blasphemes God. Something bad happens, they turn on God when they should be turning to God. But we need to be proclaiming the name of Yahweh. We need to tell them that this same God who brings forth judgment also offers mercy and pardon for their sins. And when I read all this, and this is dark and hard, but I think to myself, This God is my deliverer. This God is your deliverer. He saw our misery. He saw our misery and our bondage to our sin and our suffering for it. He took action to deliver us by sending his own son to redeem us, to deliver us through his cross and his resurrection. He brought us out of darkness into the kingdom of his light. And now, as his people... We are to be thankful, constantly expressing our gratitude to him who loved us and gave himself for us. This God of the plagues is our God. He is with us. He is for us. He loves us. Aren't you glad you're on the right side? But we need to tell men because there's a day coming when God will judge And we can't just simply sit here and study about it. We need to proclaim it. Questions? Comments? Yes? Okay. All right. We see, uh, in fact, I asked Rick about this. He, He said, he started thinking, because I asked him, I said, have you talked about... Hardening of Pharaoh's heart because it first happened there in chapter 5 and so on. 
<clears throat> and he said, yeah, I think we did discuss that. Uh, so obviously, it, it may not have been here. It may not have been clear. I probably need to do a bigger, fuller exposition of that for you at some point, maybe in the next week or so. <clears throat> but let me give you some quick answers here. Repeatedly throughout this whole process, we get, and I've got two minutes to do this. Um, you got the saying that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You've got two sides of this that are working and at work. First of all, I would say this, that this is very much like Romans 1. That people who did not want to believe, God hardened their hearts. He turned them over. He delivered them over. The, the appeals were done. No hope for them. I think this is, in large part, where Pharaoh is. He's, he's living out Romans 1 for us before Romans 1 ever existed. So I, I believe that is part of it. <clears throat> Secondly, here's a man who definitely was a pagan. He was steeped in his paganism. He didn't want to know about Yahweh. He didn't know, want to know about God. And God said, fine. I, I can deal with that. I'll just encrust you more. Because God will visit that sin upon us. And he has, he has vessels of mercy and vessels for destruction as well. Pharaoh had a purpose in God's plan to show us what a hard heart looks like and when we don't turn. And he creates. God, God has those like that. So <clears throat> a sovereign God can have mercy upon whom he has mercy and judgment upon whom he allowed judgment. And so that's the sovereignty of God. I, I may not understand it fully. I may not, and understanding maybe is a too kind of word. Maybe sometimes I, I can't fully appreciate that. Wow, why? Why? But that's, that's, this is the battle of the, of, for some who have free will. <clears throat> I, 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 don't, I, I don't want, I want God to free my will to choose what's right. As Luther talked about, the bondage of the will. Our will is in bondage. We are born into bondage to sin and, and the will to do what's wrong. And, and so from that standpoint, God has to even free us. And Pharaoh was not one of the ones that was freed from that. Now, I may not answer it fully for you, but Terrell. I think I think <clears throat> because the more you harden yourself against something, God pulls back. Okay. The hardening there is is a matter of God just allowing you to be what you are. Just like Romans again, Romans one is a great commentary on this. Okay. Anybody else? Question? I'll see if I can bring you some more. There, there's, there's different words used for hardening the heart, too. I should tell you that. Different Hebrew words. Some, some have to do with heaviness, which I pointed out today. Others have different nuances and meanings. So I'll try to pull something more out for you. But it does shift throughout the story. Fred, do you have any comment on that? Well, I was going to comment in general about the importance of this story and evangelism that often in jails and prisons, especially if they're before a new audience, we will tell the story in a very short version of it. And we've just seen God uh, really soak, uh, you know, a group that comes in wild and whatever, and sober up and sit really, really listen. Uh, the thing I would say about Pharaoh, Pharaoh's a product of multi-generational sin serious what had happened in Egypt, what they had done to God's people. Uh, you know, you go back to Genesis 1, God is under no obligation to save anybody. Pharaoh's actions are his actions. He's, he's lived a privileged life as the God of Egypt, and he used that to oppress people. It was serious in the eyes of God, and God, with his mercy, spared generations, but his mercy came to an end. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I, yeah, yeah. And 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 so we did see today there was a remnant in in Exodus of Egyptians. And in fact, when the people of Israel left, there were followers that came following Yahweh. But Fred's exactly right in all this. This should strike. I mean, reading this today should cause us to tremble too. Because this is this is God is 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 a wonderful loving God, but God is also a God of wrath upon those who refuse to listen to his voice. Those who listened, they were spared. Those who didn't listen, they were judged. What we're doing here is not fun and games. It is very serious. Very. And that's why we have to go proclaim this. And I, I, I thought about it, in fact, as I was talking about these, how this would affect people in the prison. Because you know, they're, they're the ones who... They're feeling the wrath of man, but that's nothing compared to the wrath of God. Because that's eternal. Okay, so see you in the next service. Uh, we are people who have been delivered from our misery by a gracious God. We now go to proclaim him and worship him.